0: Welcome to Mars Messina Presents. I am Mars and today is Saturday, August 27th, 2023. Episode 123 is devoted to the devastating fire that engulfed and destroyed Lahaina on the island of Maui in the state of Hawaii. I want to talk about all of the factors that are contributing to this fire. Um, and, um, it's, (laughs) it's something that should really be talked about in the open, like every single factor uh, that contributed to this disaster. But then the news, if you want to call it the news, has to throw out the mugshot pageantry to distract us all. From things we really need to concern ourselves with. Um, I I think it's a farce that that whole mugshot thing Um, both sides are playing it like a fiddle and it's further dividing the people when we should really be very concerned as a unit and as a union um, in helping indigenous peoples in Hawaii and everywhere else in the Americas so don't fall for it okay so back to the fire according to mainstream media drought conditions and winds from Hurricane Dora possibly combined to ignite the fire now this is questionable because according to locals there are many more factors that are involved in this disaster, and most of them are man made and they are done in a purposeful and sinister nature. Before we talk about all that, let's go over the timeline of what happened with this fire. So, in early August, there were a multitude of minor brush fires that affected all of the Hawaiian, Hawaiian islands. And if you take a deep dive into this, why were there so many brush fires? You think of Hawaii as some place that's not dry. You, you kind of think of tropical um, conditions, you think of humidity, you think of rain, you think of the sea but it's very dry, and why is that? Because there are non-native grasses that have been laid there, much to the chagrin for a long time of native Hawaiians. So anyway, the brush fires on the island of Oahu stretched fire department resources, and then they were quickly detained, or contained, I'm sorry, by August 4th the island's south and west sides remained abnormally dry or in a drought condition because of the fires, as well as because of weather conditions. Again, so it's been reported. Jumping to Monday, August 7th, the Maui Emergency Management Agency, okay, that is called MEMA or MEMA, Maui Emergency Management Agency, Mima. Issued warnings to its civil alert subscribers and followers on social media about extreme high wind conditions um, that were coming that could topple power poles and uh, power lines. The National Web Weather Service, the National Weather Service, and khon Two News had also put out red flag warnings in statewide weather broadcasts. On Tuesday, August 8th, worst-case scenario predictions began to manifest. At 3.45 a.m., residents of Maui's upcountry were told to evacuate fires that were becoming out of control. At 6.22 a.m., Utility poles, about 30 in total, were said to have toppled in high winds in Lahaina. Closing, um, going forward, please forgive me if I slaughter this beautiful Hawaiian language. Um, I'm going to try my best to pronounce these words. So these um, 30 utility poles blocked Hano, Hanoa Pilani Highway, which is near Front Street. This wouldn't be the first road blocked by toppled poles and lines. A result of this was at least 15 power outages impacting more than 12,400 customers. By that time, there had been no power in some parts of West Maui since 4.50 a.m. local time, and what's remarkable about this is that people in the mainland were hearing about the power outages before people right there being affected heard about it. They just knew their power went out. They didn't know why. Whereas over here, we kind of knew. Anyway, 6.40 a.m. I witnessed Shane Treu near Lahaina Luna, went live on Facebook near Kilauea when he saw the first flickers of the Lahaina fire, which was apparently sparked by a down power line. And I think he even caught this um, on video. So in essence, this was true, but you can't really say it's because of down power lines that this, this place went completely up in flames. But then he warned on his video, hey, heads up, the line is live on the ground right there. And he had his camera pointed on it. He told the news it lit up in an instant and added, soon as I hear the pop, all I heard is like electrical going on the ground and it landed in a bigger pile of dry grass and that just ignited. Also, about 6:40 a.m., winds began to cause minor damage to homes and buildings in Lahaina, and subsequently, a power pole was snapped along Lahaina Luna Road, across the street from the Lahaina Intermediate School. Evacuation subsequently started near the school. 7:03 a.m., peak wind gusts of up to 80 miles per hour caused a fire and road closures. And at 8.19 a.m., Hanoa Pilani Highway near or closed near Aloha, Aloha, Aloho, not Aloha, but Aloho. And that was due to more downed power, power lines. I'm sorry, power lines. So what is being reported to us is we're seeing multiple concurrent events of downed power lines starting fires and closing off escape routes. Now, Hawaii is not um, immune, if you will, to typhoons and other tropical storms. So why is it that this particular hurricane, which is hundreds of miles off of uh, the coast, is downing power lines all over the place? it's a question to ask maybe it did but maybe it didn't okay when we reach 10 a.m there is a collective sigh of relief maui county declared lahaina fire 100 percent contained and reopened lahaina luna road in the afternoon again eyewitness treu said we thought it was all contained and then from there just went ahead about our day, thinking it was all done. But, as we know, the trouble was not over. Four hours later, 2 p.m., the fire flared up again and forced the closure of Lahaina Bypass, a.k.a. Route 3000, with more evacuations nearby. Another road closure occurred, this one on... um, Hanawa Polani near Lahaina Luna Residents of the west side of town received instructions to shelter in place The wildfire rapidly grew in both size and intensity as people are sheltering in place Wind gust wind gusts pushed the flames through the densely populated northeastern region of the community. So we have the west side on fire, now the east side. And coming from the north down to the south, hundreds of homes burned in a matter of minutes and residents, identifying the danger, attempted to flee in vehicles while surrounded in flames. The fire moved southwest and downslope towards the Pacific coast and the Kahoma neighborhood. Then upcountry turns for the worst. 3.20 p.m. Piholo and Olinda are under evacuation with another road road closure at 3.25 p.m. on Halayakala Highway. Meanwhile, back in Lahaina, winds whipped into a frenzy road another road closed another road closed um near lahaina luna and the bypass try went on to say we all thought um we thought it was all contained and then from there just went up um oh I, I already said that didn't i yes um we already knew he already thought it was contained um of course it wasn't fire, fire firefighters in the meantime okay had to contend with failing water pressure in the fire hydrants. This is significant too. Okay, so we have winds, of course, and we have down power lines. But here's other factors that we're seeing. We have dried out non-native, non-native grass all over. Okay. We also have um, inconsistent and failing uh, emergency alerts, telling people to shelter in place in the midst of a fire with no escape routes. And now firefighters having to contend with failing water pressure in fire hydrants. This is significant, where is the water? Pipes melted within homes and began to leak and the network lost pressure despite the presence of working backup generators. And not only this, there simply was not enough of a water supply to begin with. And we'll get to that subject in a moment. So you have a a total power structure failure. Mm, okay. And no one, hardly anyone is saying a certain word that is coming to my head, and I will say it later. Anyway, 3.38 p.m. Even more road closures occur. Meanwhile, winds whipped into a frenzy, um, or more winds whipped into more of a frenzy, really. So you have all of this and failing water pressure. According to Herman Andaya from MEMA, the, um, I quote him, the battalion chief that was in the emergency operations center said that their crews were being overrun. So at that point, we set, sent out the evacuation notices. Only a few people got them. The whole island did not. 4.40 p.m. The fires breached the main part of Lahaina. The photos that you've been seeing in the media are the result of this part of the fire. So the main part of Lahaina, Lahaina is what you've been seeing in the news. Because um, that's where people go to vacation. That's where Front Street is with all the fabulous restaurants and shops. Everything made of wood. Um, very beautiful, very... Um, A lot of rich people lived there and that was destroyed. Okay. Anyway, 4:45 p.m., Maui County posted on social media telling the west side residents to shelter in place. 5:20 p.m., yet again in what seemed to be a pause to the threat The county then announced over social media that access in and out of Lahaina was reopened. But just 18 minutes later, 5.38 p.m., witness video showed Lahaina ablaze near Paunau and again at 5.54 p.m. near Front Street. So which is it? Is it, you know... Big Brother Media saying, hey, everything's open, or is it Little Brother Media showing that everything's on fire? At 5.45 p.m., the fire had reached the shoreline when the United States Coast Guard first learned, first learned of people jumping into the ocean at Lahaina to escape the fire. So there were people already before 5.45 p.m., already had been in the water for several hours because there was nowhere to turn. They couldn't stay in their homes. Their pipes were melting. They couldn't get out onto the road to escape because the roads were closed. There was only one way to go and that was into the ocean where people waited for hours for some sort of rescue. And the Coast Guard is just finding out about this at 5.45 p.m. Survivors later recalled getting trapped in a traffic jam and realizing they needed to go into the water when their cars and the cars around them caught on fire or exploded. Witnesses and fire experts illustrated a scene where there were winds that pushed the fire with the force and speed of a blowtorch. Fire, NATO, kind of like what happened in the Chicago fire. Despite a full day of warnings across the island on multiple flat platforms, officials were now out of time and out of options that they were willing to use. So they were ineffective with their warnings, and now they don't even have that anymore. It, 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 at this point, it's too late. Both the county and state websites stated. The all-hazard siren system can be used for a variety of both natural and human-caused events, including tsunamis, hurricanes, and wildfires. But those sirens were never activated. There are over 80—I'm 80 th- 80, sorry—there are over 80 sirens on Maui alone. There had been no power or communications in Lahaina for much of the day. But Andea defends Mima's choice not to use the civil defense sirens in their fire alerts, saying, had we sounded the siren that night, we are afraid people would have gone Mauka, or that means on the mountain side of the road. And if that was the case, they would have gone into the fire. That is the reason why our protocol is to use wea wea wireless emergency alerts and eas by the way i should also note there are no sirens mauka or mountainside where the fire was spreading down authorities did a series of social media alerts but again they were confusing okay and they were only were only reaching a small audience So freaking just use the sirens. Because now you are uh, in, anyway. I'm trying not to be upset when I'm delivering this news, but it's very upsetting. Before dusk, Lahaina's front street was engulfed. People in desperation continued to flee into the ocean with roads blocked by poles and wires toppled throughout the day, which corralled many within the impact zone. I'm just going to say it now, genocide. Okay, there, I said it. Um, it has been said that 114 people died in the fire. However, and I'll explain why I said that in a bit. Anyway, it's been said that 114 people died in the fire and that number went up a little bit. However, that number that is being stated in the press is only based on 25% of the affected area searched. There are still well over 1,000 people missing uh, to date. Okay, now some of my news, I apologize, is maybe a few days old But, you know, you have to talk about all the mugshots coming out of the Trump indictments because that's so much more important than what's going on in Lahaina. And anyway, um, that's the basic timeline of the actual fire event. So this leaves so many questions. Was it really just high winds that toppled power lines that set off this huge fire? Um, or like I said, are there other uh, uh, factors that are contributing to this disaster? And I suggest that the whole story is much more sinister than a firestorm. So let's talk about each of these factors. Um, Hawaiian law professor, forgive me, I'm going to try this, Kapua a ala Sprout. Kapua a la Sprout, Hawaiian law professor, points to decades of neo-colonialism in Hawaii. Corporations have redirected precious water resources resources towards um, golf courses, resorts, and other business ventures, turning many areas into tinderboxes and leaving little water to fight back against the flames. And if that is true, that is genocide. But you could be really subversive about it and go, huh, why don't we even know? Scientists and other experts have warned that non-native invasive grasses that cover a quarter of the Hawaii Islands are a major risk factor. And they've been saying this for a long time. Many Hawaiians report that there is a real estate power grab underway right now as wealthy business people and outsiders offer to buy up land for pennies on the acre and water rights as well, on the cheap, as people are still reeling from the loss of their family members, their livelihoods, their homes and their communities. They're in this desperate situation. They have nothing they have less than nothing and these vultures are coming in saying, hey, sell this. So, um, Sprout goes on to say plantation disaster capitalism is unfortunately the perfect term for what is going on. Sprout published a piece in The Guardian with Naomi Klein. Naomi Klein is a professor of law at Kahuli Uh, Native Hawaiian Law Center and the director of the Native Hawaiian Rights Clinic at the University of Hawaii at Manawa School of Law. And they go on to say the plantations, the large landed interests that have had control over not just the land but really much of Hawaii's and Maui Komahana's resources for the last several centuries are using this opportunity, are using this time of tremendous trauma for the people of Maui to swoop in and to get past the law. In the article, again featured in The Guardian, Sprout and Klein wrote, it's a name that speaks to contemporary forms of neocolonialism and climate profiteering like the real estate agents who have been cold calling Lahaina residents who have lost everything to the fire and prodding them to sell their ancestral lands. And this is a big thing to the native Hawaiian ancestral lands rather than wait for compensation. But it is also places these moves inside the long and ongoing history of settler colonial resource theft and trickery, making clear that while disaster capitalism might have some modern disguises, it's a very old tactic, a tactic that Native Hawaiians have a great deal of experience resisting, close quote, and we have to help them continue this resistance. In an interview with Democracy Now, Sprout added, these things or things are pretty brutal right now in Maui, Komahana, or in other words, West Maui. People are still trying desperately to find ways forward from this disaster of untold proportions. And I'm not on Maui. I'm actually on the island of Kauai. So a couple islands over. And I have not been there since the fire, but that's also absolutely appropriate because people who don't need to be there should stay away, but send support from afar, regardless of what that looks like, whether that means making and sending poi or writing opinion pieces or sending money. Whatever's the best way people can support from where they are, I think is really important but the word from our network of folks on the ground is that people are really struggling." Close quote. So I've heard from locals and I'm trying to do my part in broadcasting to, you know, um, I, I've got, actually got a pretty good sized audience um, all over the United States and in um, a few different countries throughout the globe. So um, to my relatively small um, audience, and I I thank you for being here, but I've heard locals say that while right now is not the time to go on vacation to Maui, it would be appropriate to prepay for a future trip so that locals have that money um, to aid in rebuilding their lives and rebuilding those beautiful resorts where you would love to visit. Uh, so that is one way. If you have the money and you were planning and dreaming of a Maui vacation, this is one way to do it. Prepay for your trip. Sproke continues. Our community has rallied in amazing ways. Our people are incredibly resilient. People aren't waiting on FEMA or even on the state or county. Relief organizations are springing up in people's homes, in their garages, and supplies are coming in by boat, by plane, by vehicle when the roads are open. But there are also a lot of uncertainties and people are concerned because what's galling for me is I see in the midst of all this attention and focus on resources being streamed towards Maui that, there's, that really there's a naked power grab and really a land and water grab that's also underway. And the discussion around this really makes me fear for the future, future of Lahaina and whether or not it will be one that includes Native Hawaiians and other local people and whether the Build Back will focus on outsiders. When Amy Goodman pressed Professor Sprout on what she meant by a land grab, she replied that what she understood was that there were realtors and there are others who are making offers to people in their most desperate time of need need, um, when people are desperate for funding and other resources to try to build back their lives. People are getting offers on their ancestral homes Lands that, here in Hawaii, when we talk about ancestral lands and our connection to place, and for emphasis, I want to add, um, when she says our connection to place, put a capital P on place. Place means something to all of us, but it's intense, intensely meaningful to the native Hawaiian. Okay, here in Hawaii, when we talk about ancestral lands and con- connection to place, we talk in generations and in hundreds of years. And so our Native Hawaiian Rights Clinic has been on the ground in Maui Komohana working with community members for several years now, and many of our community members have long-standing relationships to place. These are people who are still very connected to the land. They're still very connected to ancestors and Native traditions. And these are the type of people who, um, they believe in the economy of Mother Earth. Not the, the type of economy that we all participate in, which um, does things like land grabs and, and water grabs and genocide and colonialism. No, they honor the earth. They honor the water. And that is their relationship to place. And it's some of these community members who are getting offers on their homes at this most difficult time, which is, and this is an understatement, completely inappropriate. Sproke goes on to explain plantation disaster capitalism. It is the perfect term for what's going on in Maui Komahana or in West Maui right now. The plantations, the large landed interests that have had control over not just the land, but really over much of Hawaii and Maui Komahana's resources for the past several centuries are using the emergency proclamation that the governor put into place the day after the fires as an opportunity to try to get their way, especially with respect to water resources, something they could not achieve when the law and Hawaii's water code in particular were in place. Okay, so that's something that the governor did once the emergency went into place certain laws were suspended that is significant sproke goes on to explain the water grab which contributed to the water shortage firefighters experienced while trying to distinguish the fires so in hawaii ola i Wai water is life It is one of our most important resources. In fact, there are many people who would say fresh water is our most important resource. And it's what enabled our people to be able to not just survive, but really thrive in Hawaii for more than a millennia. And in Lahaina in particular, this area, for sure, it's special for people who come on vacation and people who know Front Street but for the people of this community, Lahaina was really the seat of the Hawaiian kingdom. It was the capital before Oahu. And part of the reason that Lahaina was such an important place was because of the abundance of resources and the abundance of water sources in particular. So now I'm breaking away from her her quotations right now. So here's this incredibly abundant area, you know, um, very rich in water and in soil and in grasses and plants and animals and ecosystem. And you have officials shrugging their shoulders saying, oh, well, the the grass is dry and there's no water. We couldn't help ourselves. You know, we, we couldn't help this. That was mother nature. That's the nature of the business. No, they did this on purpose. Okay, so um, Sproke goes on. Before the arrival of Europeans in Hawaii, Mahaina was actually known as the Venice of the Pacific, which for folks... have been there recently might seem extraordinary. And if you don't know about Venice, Italy, it is surrounded in water. It's in the middle of a lagoon and the streets there are actually canals of water. And so Lahaina resembled Venice, except for lately. Right now Lahaina has been desiccated and is almost like a dry desert area. But when it was managed by Kanaka Maoli, by native Hawaiians, it was abundant with water and other resources. So what happened was that the arrival of plantation interests, okay, so your sugar and your pineapple plantations, all right, those water, and especially after the capital was moved to Oahu, these resources were grabbed up by landed plantation interests. So for sugar plantations and pineapple plantations, and later those resources were were diverted to support other kinds of development, including luxury residential development, and even to support hotels in some instances. And so what happened is that the YY, as we call it, the wealth of Lahaina, was actually taken by these corporations. And so, what we also know, at least the people from Hawaii, is that part of the reason for this extraordinary tragedy in Maui Komahana, or in West Maui, is also because there has been more than a century of plantation water mismanagement in this area. It's because of extractive water policies. Where water hasn't remained on the land, invasive grasses have come up. And that's what created the tinderbox and this unfortunate situation of the tragic fire that took place. Close quote. Sprout also raised the issue of the governor immediately issuing emergency emergency proclamations as the wildfires continued to burn, which suspended a series of laws according to Hawaii's state water code. Here's what she said about that. I think part of what's so disappointing in the way the governor, in partnership with large landed interests and in Maui Kamahana have tried to establish or accomplish this naked power grab because really it's more than just a water grab, it's a power grab. And that they're specific, specifically usurping both the law and, more than that, they're usurping long standing and broad based community interests and support for more proactive water management and water management that's going to ensure that the resources benefit the people and that's why I'm calling this genocide because yes, it's a power grab and it's a land grab but it's also a power grab. You're doing away with laws that you had agreed to with the native people that you colonized and they're doing it in Hawaii and they're doing it in the Dakotas and they're doing it in Canada and they're doing it all over the place where indigenous people live. Okay, so um, I think I've made my point, Um, but to provide some context, for several years now, Hawaii State Commission or the Water Commission has proactively attempted to create what is called Water Management Designation just a fancy lawyer's term. It's an additional layer, kind of like zoning, that goes over an area where we know water resources are threatened. And once that happens, there's an additional layer of permitting that's invoked that allows the Water Commission to revisit allocations and how water is actually used and distributed Okay, Um, then Sprout says, this is really important because in Hawaii, we have a public trust doctrine, which means that our water resources are managed for present and future generations and cannot be owned by any individual. But the problem is that despite what we call black letter law, in many ways in Hawaii, and the last century at least, Might has made right. Might has made right. And in small towns like Lahaina, companies with a lot of influence have been able to maintain control of the water resources, even when there are interests like native Hawaiian families, like the streams themselves, the streams themselves that have a higher call to right or higher water rights, at least according to black letter law. Okay. And those laws are being ignored. And they're like, oh, well now we have to issue another permit. Okay. So there was, um, there was something going on in the the courts actually. Um, Native Hawaiians were successful in achieving um, a proactive water management um, area designation. And what that meant was additional permit protections were put into place, okay? Which meant that native Hawaiians had superior rights, but it's been recognized that those rights were being ignored, okay? And so, um, what happened was, this was brought into court. This was a legal issue, and um, the existing water was—I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going over my notes. The existing water use permit applications were due on Monday, August seventh. And then the fire ravaged Lahaina on Tuesday, August 8th. How about that? They were about to win their lawsuit. It was pretty clear. Okay. So they turn in their applications and then all of a sudden there's a big fire. And then on Wednesday, August 9th, the governor's office issued these ad hoc emergency proclamations, which suspended the water code. Now you tell me that isn't genocide. What's happening right now epitomizes plantation disaster capitalism, just like Professor said, because we have a handful of incredibly privileged, large-landed interests, using this terrible tragedy to displace and to push through laws that they were unable to secure when Hawaii's state water code was in place. The Native Americans must galvanize and we must help them. We have to circle up. We have to come together. And if that doesn't happen, then the ancestors who have been preserving Hawaii and Hawaiian resources for generations, um, it won't have another thousand years. And they think that big, okay? The native Hawaiians think in terms of millennia. Whereas, you know, to someone like myself, millennia means forever. But to them, it's generations. And they want why to last another millennia or millennium. Sorry, I think millennia is the plural. They want that too though, but they have to, they're focused on the next millennium. And right now they're wondering if they're gonna make it to next year. So um, I'm I'm watching the time. There's so much more I want to say, which is why I'm talking so stiltedly, because I'm going over my notes and I'm trying to find highlights. When I really just want to tell this whole story, but anyway, um, what I'm going to do with the remainder of the time I have is to try to go over um, witness testimony by people who live in the area. I've tried to gather some intel from people on the ground. And I actually have a friend, um, a few friends actually, who are living in Hawaii right now. And one of these friends lives very close. Thank heaven she wasn't um, directly affected by the fire. But she lives close by and she's emotionally and spiritually affected by the fire. So I try to um, glean some of her words of wisdom as well as some Native Hawaiians who you know went onto social media to talk about this. So um, I'm going to try to quote them for the remainder of the time I have here. So um, meditate on these words. This is a gentleman named Ke, Keaumoku moku Kapu moku Kapu who said. I'm afraid we're not going to recover from this. Kapu is Kanaka Maoli, or the Hawaiian word for indigenous people. He is a community leader in Lahaina, and he is the head of Na Aikane, O Maui Cultural Center, which was destroyed by the fire that ripped through Lahaina. He said that I'm hoping we can get over this hurdle, but at the same time, I have the fear of being erased because our island is now turned into a cheaper commodity because there's nothing more important to save here. You have people coming in willing to buy burnt out places. Kapu said his family and other members of his community have been contacted by realtors asking to buy their burned-up property. Okay. The Office of the Governor of Hawaii released a statement warning Maui residents about predatory buyers, trying to capitalize on their fear and their financial uncertainty for those who have lost their homes. In a press conference, Governor Josh Green said he is working with the Attorney General to put a moratorium on property sales in West Maui. I hope that works. Okay, um, so there's a big fear that native Hawaiians are being displaced. A nonprofit organization called Hawaii Alliance for Progressive Action has stated, or they've started an online petition <clears throat> to call on government governments to use their powers to stop Maui land grabs, support displaced families, and ensure decisions are made with native Hawaiians at the table. Kapo is urging people not to sell, but is worried that people's fear and desperation may drive them to accept these offers. And he said, <coughs> you're going to make our children tomorrow orphans within their own land. Our place was a living place. Again, that word place, give it a capital P. Our place was a living place. It was a living museum. It was things you could actually touch, books that you could actually read, maps that showed a lot of families where they originated from. For Lahaina, I'm afraid what this place can turn into now. This is for us, genocide. Okay. Now, um, Uwa Hikeya Male, um, who was also Ka- Kanaka Maoli, she's from Oahu and she is an assistant professor of indigenous politics in the Department of Political Science at the University of Toronto. She pointed to pre-colonial Lahaina she said it was a wetland ecosystem abundant with life. And that was one of the reasons it was chosen for the royal residence. But in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, white people, white owned sugar plantations on Maui started to illegally divert water to their crops, which dried up the wetlands. So this has been um, a century coming that, um, Lahaina ended up in the condition it is today, almost like a desert. And the natives have been fighting this the whole time. And so it is really important that the people have a say in what is going to happen with these destroyed lands. Okay, Um, so this is an opportunity, you know, when you have disaster, you know, how people try to, um, see the glasses half full or say things like if life gives you lemons, make lemonade. This is a pivotal moment. Okay. Um, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity and there's a tremendous amount of danger. Okay. So, um, There is a company called West Maui Land Company, Inc. This company is an example of one of the dangers. So according to Kaku Halakala, Halakala, I'm sorry, Um, this is a nonprofit organization. This is what they had to say. There was a story published by the Honolulu, Honolulu Civic Beat that irresponsibly mischaracterized the cause of this disaster. The civil beat narrative that positions West Maui Land Company, Inc., as having done all that they could is inaccurate and fails to recognize that it has been the actions of West Maui Land and other corporations that have turned Lahaina into an arid desert-like landscape primed for fire disaster that we're dealing with now. Okay, so when you spend your money Um, for efforts in helping the people of uh, Maui. Make sure you know where that money is going. Make sure it isn't going to some vulture capitalist like West Maui Land Company, Inc. Make sure that you are benefiting the native Hawaiian. Okay. So, um... I've got to end this now, unfortunately. To date, more than 10,000 FEMA residents, I'm sorry, FEMA assistance registrations have been received with nearly $13.2 million in federal housing and individual assistance provided. Okay, now President Biden was in Hawaii yesterday. He stayed there for six hours um, right there in Lahaina. And um, he said the right things like, you know, we're going to, we're going to gather together, we're going to restore everything, and we're going to make sure that the Native Hawaiians are at the table and that they have a say in what's going on. That remains to be seen. I hope it works out that way. I don't know if it's going to work out that way. So now I'm going to end with the words of my aforementioned friend who lives Near the fire disaster area. These are her words. Chain gates on the privately owned roads running through the fallow sugarcane fields, the only other roads out of Lahaina, besides the one blocked by down power lines and traffic, are haunting my thoughts. This was going on during the fire, she's saying all of this. Few had the time or the means to cut chains and flee the fire. Most of the remains recovered so far are in cars or the water. There is concern that the storm systems will bring rains that will wash toxic dust from the areas affected by the fires down into the ocean, hurting many life forms on the land and in the water and making swimming unsafe in both West and South Maui. There are conflicting requests for tourists both to stay away and come to support the economy. I read a suggestion from a small businessman um, recently that made a lot of sense. Maybe it is best to stay away right now, but don't cancel your plans and ask for refunds. Reschedule for the future and let the businesses keep your deposits and payments. I was saying that earlier, actually. Maybe consider prepaying for your accommodations, retreats, workshops, excursions, and meals. There are relief funds on the way for many, but it is not immediate and many small business businesses not demolished by the disaster but still affected do not qualify for aid. There are many ways to help. This is one to consider. And she goes on to say her name is Francis by the way. Um Francis says can't help but think that a major factor in the def- devastation of Lahaina has its roots again and the Sugar barons diverting water away from what was once referred to as the Venice of the Pacific. Again, I was saying the same stuff because of its lush waterways and advanced hydroponics. The descendants of the Sugar barons are still hoarding water and diverting to resorts, resorts and golf courses. Shame on them. May they wake up and do the right thing. It's time to restore ecosystems and utilize brilliant indigenous resource management." And um, her last thought here. Hawaiian wisdom and land management fed and supported all ecosystems. Pre-contact Hawaii had a population of up to 1 million and all were well fed. Okay, again, you guys, mother nature's economy. Um, Back to Francis here just like clear cutting for cattle grazing in Brazil has eliminated precious medicinals. So has the mismanagement of water here on Maui created a tinderbox of non-native grasses that have shallow root systems and killed precious medicinal, medicinal plants on the land and seaweeds on the shore. The chemicals and poisons used to maintain golf courses, lawns for resorts, and gentlemen farmer estates that don't farm. Swimming pools and lawns have wreaked so much destruction. Back in the 80s when my high school choir participated in a competition on Oahu, the spectrum of colors of the corals in limu or seaweeds when we snorkeled was vibrant. When I first moved here in 2013 everything looked like the color of mucus. There was a brief, beautiful recovery of the reef during the pandemic when tourism came to a standstill. Astonishing what a contrast there is in land management compared to Belize, where they treat their natural wonders as their most precious commodity. Greed has far too much influence over decision-making here. I pray that all come together and find consensus to use best practices. Indigenous land management around the world has the insight of generations collaborating with nature. Now is the time for collaboration. Close quote. Those are words of wisdom spoken by my friend Francis. And they resound not only in Maui, but... On every land of this planet, especially in the places where the natives know how to communicate with Mother Nature. Power grabs, land grabs, water grabs. This is genocide. This is the genocide of indigenous people. Colonization continues. It's not just in the history books. What happened in Maui is not a new story. The question is, What will it take to make it our last? Mother Nature's economy is the true economy. When a human being shows the smallest effort in caring for her, she pays us beyond our wildest imaginations. But if we continue on this promiscuous, use misuse and abuse then she's going to repay us with the fires and the heat and the tornadoes and the other disasters and we can shrug our shoulders and say well that's the way things are now or we can stop this madness now and come to our senses Bedtime Stories from the Acoustic Bookshelf. It's a very short prayer. It is called Ho, Opo, Nopo, No. It is prayer for forgiveness, healing, and for making things right. And I'm going to say it in English. I am sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. Until next week, aloha.